I'd like to ask you to turn to Luke chapter 17, please. Luke chapter 17. <clears throat> While you're turning there, I, I want to say what a great week it's been, a great two weeks. And I want to express my appreciation for the Im invitation to be here and to spend these two weeks with you. It's such a blessing and encouragement to me to see the amount of work and effort and sacrifice that's made for the kingdom. And uh, I know that I speak for the elders as well when I say that your work is appreciated and your efforts to reach those that you know and those that you may have a relationship with. Uh, those are very important things that we do for God's kingdom. And I want to encourage you to continue doing that and not to just let this week be the entirety of your work as you go out to spread the gospel. But certainly I'm glad to have been a part of these two weeks. And, and I want to tell you that I love each and every one of you. Um, and I probably won't stick around too long after services because I am ready to get home. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 11... We read a story where Jesus encountered ten lepers. And as we go through this story tonight, I, I hope that we'll find some way to relate this to ourselves. And I hope that the study of the evening will be a blessing to you. And as I've said several times, will also be challenging to you in your walk with God. Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. It says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan." So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. Before we really dive into this story, I want to just divert your attention to a passage of Scripture tonight from Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writing to the church at Rome says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants each and every one of us as his children to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that mean? When we think of a sacrifice, what do we think of? We think of something being put to death, something being put aside, something being offered. Well, obviously, he's not saying offer your life, that is forfeit your life, but in other words, take your life and devote it completely to God and present it before him to prove what is the holy and acceptable and perfect will of God. And he said, this is your reasonable service. You know what that word reasonable means? It means rational. It means calculated. <clears throat> it means when I put this on the side of the scale and this on the side of the scale, it balances out. But really, that's not exactly what happens. 
He uses the word beseech, and that's really not a word we use in our typical West Texas jargon or dialect. Beseech, <clears throat> we would say, I'm begging you. I'm pleading with you to do this. I'm pleading with you to present your lives, your bodies, as a sacrifice that is acceptable in the sight of God. And what was it that he used to motivate them? It was the mercies of God. The mercies of God. In other words, when you really consider the mercy of God, the, the goodness of God, the gifts of God, the blessings of God, it's only rational that we give him our entire life, that we surrender our heart, our mind, our soul, our everything to God for his service, for his glory, for his will. And guess what? Every one of you know that, don't you? You know that. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But you know, sometimes we know it. We know it. But just knowing it is not good enough. And there's often a missing element in this equation, if you will, and that's gratitude. Gratitude. Because I can know what God's mercy is. I can even know that God has given me or delivered to me his mercy. But unless I'm grateful for it, it does nothing in my life. Nothing at all. And what we read about in this story is an expression of genuine gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. <clears throat> it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you to give thanks in everything. Do you thank God for everything in your life? You say, everything? Yeah, everything. Well, what about the bad times? Well, we're not going to take time, but go read 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at Paul. Look at his attitude about the bad times. And you know what he concluded? If the bad times bring me closer to God, thank God for the bad times. I will glory in my infirmities. Do you thank God Every day for everything. Are you thankful? Because that's God's will for us. To be people of gratitude. And it affects us maybe more than we think. And I want to ask several questions before we dive into this story. Because these are the things I want to learn from this story. And number one, are we fulfilling God's will in our life through our gratitude? That's number one. Number two, what causes us to be ungrateful? Because if we're not really being grateful toward God, what is the root cause of that? And there's many things we'll talk about. Number three, how can we know if we're grateful? Because see, there's a way to quantify that. There's, there's a way to know whether or not we're actually being grateful according to the will of God. And finally, number four, how does gratitude or a lack of gratitude affect my life and my relationship with God? So let's talk about these lepers. What was the problem with leprosy? What were the biggest issues? Obviously, the worst part of it is it is an incurable disease, and most of the time it's a fatal disease. That's probably the worst part, but there's a lot of things that go with it. I want to read something to you from a medical journal. This about leprosy. It says, infection can lead to damage of the nerves, respiratory tract, skin, and eyes. 
The nerve damage may result in a lack of ability to feel pain, which can lead to the loss of a parts of a person's extremities from repeated injuries or infection through unnoticed wounds. In other words, your body parts lose their sense of feeling and you might bump it on something or cut something and you don't even know that you're wounded and it gets infected and it falls off and you just never know. And that's why oftentimes you see lepers missing fingers and toes and sometimes entire appendages. A terrible disease, a Awful disease, but you know what? Even maybe worse than that is the social issues that come with leprosy. In fact, under the law, if one had leprosy, his only physical and social contact was to be with other lepers. That's why they had leper colonies. If you were near or close to other people, you had to cover your mouth and you had to shout, Unclean! Unclean! Imagine the scene that that would cause every time you came into contact with other people who were not lepers and you had to shout, unclean. That was their life. They woke up every day knowing that they don't get to hug their kids. They don't get to touch their wife. They don't get to shake someone's hand. They can't feel the warm embrace of their friends. They can't sit down around a table with the people that they've known all their life and loved and have a meal. This is your life. You are isolated from all those you love. You are in pain. You are sick. And ultimately, you know that your fate is death. Could you imagine waking up like that every day? Hopeless. And then you find out there's a man from Galilee. And he healed a leper. And all of a sudden, your hopelessness changes to beams of hope. But he's not there. And so you're waiting to hear about whether or not this person, this Jesus, comes into your region and you find out he's coming our way. And so you and your nine friends, you run out and you stand afar off because you can't come close to him. And you, all you can do is shout and say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. This is your one shot. This is it. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourself to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. You know, there was a time when Jesus touched a leper and healed him. He doesn't even say to these lepers, be healed. You know what he says? Go show yourself to the priest. Now, that was according to the law. They had to go and be examined by a priest. He was to look at their condition, and then he would deem them as being now clean, and they could go back into society. So that's where he's telling them to go. But on the way, it says they were cleansed. Can you imagine as they were walking along, and they looked at each other, I bet there were tears of joy. Imagine the state they've been in. Do you think for a moment that these guys looked around and weren't in some way grateful for what had just happened? That's insane to think that they weren't grateful at all. This is the best moment of their life. They've just been restored. But there was one person that was different. One person stuck out in this crowd. One of them, verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, returned. And with a loud voice, glorified God. 
And he fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. More about that later. So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? I have no doubt in my mind that these, these guys were grateful. But here's the difference between the nine and the one. The nine were thankful for the blessing, but not thankful toward the blesser. And we can get there, can't we? To be grateful for the blessings that God gives us, but not return to give glory to the one who blessed us. We can be grateful for the gift, but not the gift giver. This man returned to give glory to God. There are several things that I noticed from this man. Number one, he returned. The nine did not. And when he returned, it says he loudly gave God praise. Number three, he fell down on his, fell down on his feet, or on his face, rather, at his feet. I'll get that out in a minute. And number four, he gave him thanks. Doesn't seem like that big a deal, does it? Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Did you know that every single blessing that you enjoy in life is a gift from God? Every blessing. Do we know that? Yeah, sure we know that. But do we think about it? Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says this, Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, he says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are a good report, if there be any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Now, you want to know what I do sometimes when I'm anxious? I'm a worrier, by the way. Not a warrior. I'm a worrier. I'm a worrier. That's my wife. I overthink everything. I'm sure Van and Diana have learned that this last two weeks. I overthink everything. And I'll get anxious about a situation. I'll think about it. I'm gravely concerned. And, and so what do I do? Well, I pray about it. And I say, God, here's what I'm worried about. This is my problem. And you know what I do? I worry some more. You ever do that? You ever keep telling God over and over about your worries, but, but somehow the worry doesn't get taken away? You know, sometimes I miss things in scriptures. I, I don't want us to miss something that's a key element here. And notice that he says, but be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's what I forget oftentimes when I'm worried or concerned about something is to pray to God and take an inventory of my blessings. I don't think about the things that are true and lovely and just and pure. I think about the problem. We can't just do one thing God said and ignore the rest of it. And next time you're full of anxiety, I want to suggest something to you. Grab a piece of paper, grab a pen, and sit down and take an inventory of your blessings. First, start with every spiritual blessing that you enjoy in Jesus Christ. Every spiritual blessing, that's number one. Number two, next I want you to write down every single person in your life that blesses you and makes your life better. 
And number three, write down every physical comfort, physical blessing that God has blessed you with. Write all those things down, then go back through them and look at them again. And then remember this. There's a lot of people in the world that have none of those things. None of them. And then think about how your life would be impacted if you didn't have any of those things. And I'll tell you what it'll do. It'll change your anxiety into gratitude. Because oftentimes the reason why we're so overcome with worry and anxiety and nervousness is because we fail to be thankful. We think life's unfair. My life's not fair. And we miss out on every blessing that God wants to give us and will give us because we don't recognize it because we're not thankful. Luke chapter 15 and verse 29. Luke 15, 29. One of the things that robs us of gratitude, one of the things that causes us to be ungrateful is envy. We mentioned envy a couple times this week. I want to talk about envy for just a moment. Luke 15, from the story that we looked at Wednesday night, the prodigal son. This is about the older brother. It says, so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this your son has come, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. What's this guy's problem? What's his problem? He's upset. He thinks this situation is not fair. And what's caused that? He doesn't recognize the blessings that he has. He doesn't, and, and that's what the father calls his attention to. Everything I have is yours. What are you upset about? You've, you've been in my house the entire time. And the entire inheritance... It's just, it's yours. It belongs to you. You know, I, I think about Peter when Jesus is talking to Peter and he tells Peter, you know, for all your life you've been able to walk around and do what you want, but there's going to come a time when someone else is going to tell you what to do, signifying what death he should die. And you know what Peter said? Yeah, but what about John? You know what Jesus said? What's that to you? I think that's good advice for us especially when we're envying someone. What's that to you? Why should we think that God's will for someone else's life is God's will for our life or that we've experienced some type of unfairness because they didn't enjoy what, or they've been able to enjoy what we didn't get to? That will rob you of your peace. It'll rob you of your joy. We need to be grateful for what God has given us and appreciate those blessings. You know, envy has destroyed certain people. When we think about King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, it says, So the women sang as they danced, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. This last phrase is where I really want to focus our attention. So Saul eyed David from that day forward. What's that mean? Does it mean that once in a while he checked on David? That he was looking for David? No, here's what it meant. Go read it. Saul became obsessed with David. Obsessed. To the point that now his eyes are off of his work. His eyes are off of him ruling over Israel. 
and he's obsessed with David. His eyes are away from God, and in his anger and in his jealousy and his envy, he pursued David, trying to murder him over and over and over for years. He's the king. I mean, dude, you're the king. (laughs) Why are you worried about this shepherd boy? You already know he's going to have your kingdom one day. God's already said that. Just deal with it. And now go be the king. And use the opportunity that God's given you to serve in Israel and be a good king for the rest of your life. But no, he had to spend his life in envy and in resentment. And eventually, he died as a fool. You think that we're immune to that? That envy won't consume us? You know, when you look out at somebody else's house and you say, man, man, they got a big, nice house. I I wish I had a big, nice house. I'll tell you what that'll do. That'll rob you. That'll rob you. You want a nicer house? I don't necessarily think that's sinful to upgrade your house. But don't let envy rob you of gratitude. I'll tell you, we ought to be thankful we have a house. Especially a house that's sealed up. Where when these dust storms pop up, we don't have to sit in there and choke on the dust. And when it's hot, we can cool it down. And when it's cold, we can warm it up. And we can walk into there to our refrigerator and pull cold food out of the fridge. But you know what we do? I wish I had a bigger house. Instead of saying, God, thank you for my house. Thank you for the comfort. Thank you for the air conditioning. Thank you for the soft pillow that I lay on every night. Thank you for the warm blankets that are on my body. Thank you for the hot water that I can go take a shower in. Thank you for the dishwasher that does my dishes. And we could go on and on and on, but you know what? A lot of times we get caught up in envy, looking at everybody else's life and not appreciating our own. And then we will hate the people that we envy. You see the problem with not being grateful, with not taking an inventory? Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Listen to verse 21. This is what we talked about the other day, the world without God. It says, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful. What was one of the biggest problems in the idolatrous world? They weren't thankful. They didn't acknowledge God as the giver of life and the giver of blessings. You ever heard somebody say, he's a self-made man? John Bright, British statement, says he's a self-made man and worships his creator. I want you to think about that. He's a self-made man and worships his creator. You ever hear somebody say, yeah, we're blessed, but I did that. I worked hard. I did that. I built that. I created that. That's my doing. You know what? Maybe you did work for that. Maybe you did build that. Maybe you did create that. I want you to look at Acts chapter 17 with me for a moment. This is Paul speaking to a bunch of idol-worshiping pagans. And he says to them, He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundary of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. Verse 28, 
For in him we live and move and have our being also, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He said, I want to tell you about the God you can't see. The God that created you. The God that has caused you to exist. That's what the word being means, exist. And maybe you worked for that. Maybe you built that. Maybe you created that. But here's the facts. If God doesn't want you to breathe, you don't breathe. If he doesn't want you to exist, you don't exist. If he doesn't want you to move, you don't move. If he doesn't want you to have strength, you don't have strength. Every blessing is from God, whether you work for it or not. Every blessing. And don't ever get the idea that you're a self-made man. Because that will destroy you. It'll kill your gratefulness. It'll cause you to look at other people who maybe don't work as hard as you and think you're better than them. Be grateful to the giver. Because we have life from God. And every blessing comes from him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. You know, some people say, maybe I don't want to exist. Maybe I don't want to live. And I'll tell you, that's tragic to me, that somebody gets in a position where they are so low that they just don't want to live any longer. That's tragic. But I want you to know, even if you don't have any earthly blessings, if you're in Christ Jesus, you are blessed. And you can be grateful. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, for we know that if our earthly house, and he's not talking about our home, he's talking about this body, a body, the body we dwell in. We know that if this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this, that is in this body, we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we... Who are in this tent grown being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality might be swallowed up by life. If you have nothing in this world to be grateful for, be grateful for eternal life. Be grateful for heaven. Be grateful that one day God is going to give you a body that will never hurt, will never get sick, and will never die. And what we do, I want you to think for just a moment. <clears throat> Brother Mark, can you see that A right there on that? Pretty small, isn't it? I want you to imagine that this A represents the span of your lifetime and the rest of this screen represents eternity. You know what we do to God? God goes, here you go. And we go, yeah, God, but what about that speck? The speck's unfair. He said, look at this. We go, no, the speck. Look at the speck. Paul said, I reckon... He may have been Southern. <laughs> I reckon that the sufferings of this present are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You know what he's saying? If we could peel back the curtain and get a glimpse into heaven, we'd stop complaining about all the things in life that weren't fair. Because we'd understand eternity is ours. And if we're not grateful for that, it will cause an immense amount of ingratitude in our life. We won't be grateful for anything. You can be grateful. Don't think for a second that there's nothing in this world and nothing for you to look forward to. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says this, As each one of us has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold 
grace of God. A steward is someone that you hand something to to take care of. And here's what God wants us to do as a steward. He doesn't want us to just be a recipient of his blessings. He wants us to be a conduit for them. To transfer those blessings to others. And here's the problem about gratitude. If I'm not grateful to God, guess what kind of steward I'm going to be? A useless one. You know what's really hard to do? Convince somebody to become a Christian when you're miserable. They don't want any part of your misery. You tell people how great God is and then live your life in misery, they don't buy that one bit. You're not grateful for what you got in life. You complain all the time and you go, oh, by the way, you ought to come to church with us. I'm not going to church with you. You don't even like your own life. Why would I go where you're at? They just assume everybody else must be miserable too. We're supposed to be stirreds of the grace of God. If we appreciate the grace of God, we'll be a steward. We'll pass that toward people. We will tell people about the goodness and the grace of God. And here's something we can be a steward of. Matthew 18 and verse 30. This is the parable that Jesus gave to teach us about forgiveness. And if you remember, this man had been forgiven a tremendous debt, 10,000 talents. And I don't know how much money that is. It's hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars. It's an unpayable debt. That's the point. He could not with any amount of time and work and money ever pay the debt. But the king just loosed him from the debt because he asked him to. And then this same servant goes out and he finds his fellow servant, which owed him a hundred pence, which is a small debt that could easily be paid. And this man falls down and he says to him, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And what he's saying is, give me a little more time and I'll pay you, which he could. But notice the Bible says of this servant when he was requested to give mercy to this man, it says he would not. And I want you to notice it doesn't say he could not, it says he would not. He would not forgive, he would not lose. And sometimes we think, well, I can't forgive, that's not true. Because God never asks us to do something we can't do. We can forgive, but sometimes we will not forgive. And then it says, but he went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that, he had done, all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not have also had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? What is he saying? He's saying you didn't recognize the grace I gave you. And because you weren't appreciative of the grace I gave you, that's why you're not forgiving this person. That's the reality. We don't forgive people because we don't appreciate what God's given us. And I'll tell you what that takes. It takes humility. It takes humility. Because no matter how bad someone afflicted me or afflicted my family or afflicted my kids even or afflicted someone else I love, they haven't afflicted me as bad as I've afflicted God. The pile of my sins against God is much greater than the pile of sins that anyone has against me. And if we're really appreciative and grateful for God's mercy, we will loose our brother of their offense. And when we don't, it's rooted in ingratitude regarding God's blessing of mercy and forgiveness to us.
I think genuine expressions of gratitude sometimes make us very uncomfortable. I know they have me. I want to just think about something for a moment. What if somebody would have come up here tonight and they sat right here on the front pew and the entire service, they just sat there and they loudly cried into their hands? How would that make you feel? What would we do? I mean, we'd probably all be thinking different things. You know, some people would probably think, I wonder what's wrong with this person. Some of us might be thinking, man, is somebody going to stop her? I mean, she's disturbing the services, which we've had that here before, haven't we? She's disturbing the services. Some of us would go, I wonder what her game is. Oh, she's just trying to get attention. That's what it is. Just trying to make a spectacle of her. I mean, we would think all kinds of things about, we'd wonder what is going on. What if it was because she was just so moved by God's goodness that it just brought her to tears? You say, well, that doesn't happen. I didn't ask if it happened to you. <laughs> what if somebody fell down right here in the aisle on their face and worshiped God? That'd be hard, wouldn't it? And yet Paul, as he writes to the church at Corinth, says, that's a possibility. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and 23, Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. You know what Paul said? If you preach God's word, sometimes people will be so moved by the goodness of God that they fall down on their face and they worship God. Why would we be shocked if that happened? No, I'm not suggesting you fall down in the aisle. That's not at all what I'm saying. But I do want to ask you this. When's the last time that you fell on your face and worshiped God and thanked Him? When's the last time you had that type of gratitude? Oh, you think that's uncomfortable? Look at the situation that Jesus was in. Luke chapter 7 and verse 36 says, Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him wiping, a weeping rather. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now let's just stop and I want you to get this scene for a moment. You're all sitting around eating dinner and here comes this woman and she is crying so profusely, she's creating enough tears to wash someone's feet. Now, first of all, that seems very awkward to me that someone would come in and start crying on your feet. That's weird, right? But you know what's more weird? That as she's crying, she takes her hair and she begins to clean Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she kisses his feet. If you can tell, I'm not a foot person. What would you think if you saw this? I'd probably go, wow. Are you going to let that happen? 
Well, I guess I'd be in bad company if that's what I thought because that's exactly what the Pharisee thought. The Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this. He spoke to himself. I want you to notice that. He didn't say this out loud. He just thought in his mind as he watched this scene unfolding and seeing what this woman was doing, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. You know what his mind immediately went to? This is not right. There's nothing about this situation that's right. Number one, she should not be allowed to touch him. And number two, if he knew what kind of woman she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. Well, guess what? Jesus not only knew what kind of woman she was, he also knew what the Pharisee Simon was thinking. He knew everything that was going on. Why did Jesus allow this? This was a teachable moment for Simon. And I think it is for us too. Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he said, teacher, say it. So Jesus says, there was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. That's pretty simple, right? Jesus gives this parable. He says, there were two people that owed money. One owed 500, the other owed 50. He forgave them both. Who's going to be more grateful? Well, the answer is obvious, right? The one that owed the most. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. You know what he's saying? He's saying, Simon, you didn't even give me the common courtesy, the common courtesy that is due me when I came in your house. These were all common courtesy. To give someone provisions to wash their feet. They had dirty feet. That's just the reality. Feet were nasty. They were sandals. But he said, she has not ceased to do any of these things. And then he gives him the reason why. And this is the most important part of this teaching. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. The more that someone has been given, the more gratitude they will have. But they have to recognize it. And Jesus defines her gratitude with these words. She loved much. That's the positive, but here's the negative. Here's what Jesus is telling Simon. Simon, you didn't give me those things because you don't love me. She's doing what she's doing because she loves me. But you don't love me much. You don't love me very much. And I'll tell you, that strikes my heart. Because I know sometimes I have, a tr I have trouble expressing my gratitude. You know why we have trouble? We don't love very much. Because we don't recognize how much we've been given. And friends, that's a huge problem. Because if we don't recognize what we've been given and we're not grateful, we're not going to be useful. 
Notice Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. Sounds a lot like Romans 12, doesn't it? Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. I'll tell you what the leper did not have problem with. He did not have problem with humility. Even if he's not a leper, he's reminded every day because he's a Samaritan that he is less. He is less than everyone else. How about you? Do you have humility? Do you recognize that God has healed you of something greater than leprosy? Something far worse than leprosy. Because while leprosy can take your life, sin can damn your soul. Do you recognize what God has done in healing you? Are we zealous for good works? You know what that word zealous means? It means on fire. Are we on fire for good works or do we just want to do the bare minimum? Well, I'm just going to do enough where maybe God notices and maybe he'll say, oh, that, that's good. Or are we on fire for the Lord? Because when God's people see the grace of God, they'll be on fire. And they'll fight against sin in their life. That's what the grace of God teaches us, that denying ungodliness... We should live soberly and righteously in this present world and be zealous to do good things. Zealous for good works. Are you burning? Are you burning for the Lord? When we have better things to do than be here at the worship assembly, where are the nine? Where are the nine? When your brother or sister needs your help, but you're too tired, where are the nine? When you repeatedly give in to temptation, even though you know that Jesus died for the very sins that you're giving into, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Are you ungrateful? I want to finish with Psalms chapter 100, 1 through 5. A psalm of thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generations. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe He's great? I want to share something sobering that came to my mind a while back. What if the people in my life only saw the greatness and goodness of God in direct correlation to the way that I worship and praise and thank God. How great would they think God was? What about you? What if you were the only evidence that the people who know you ever saw of God's greatness, would they think he was great? Would they think he was good? 
Are you grateful? Friends, we want to offer the invitation of Jesus Christ one more time. I said I'm going to leave after this, but I'm not in a hurry to get home. If you need Jesus, we'll take all the time, all the time that that takes. If you need Jesus Christ tonight, if you need to be healed, let me tell you, if you're in your sin, as I said a minute ago, you've got something far worse than leprosy. But Jesus is the physician and Jesus heals. You know what we have to do? Just come to him and submit. And call on his name and say, Lord, I need your healing. And we do that in faith. We do that when we obey him in baptism and he cleanses us. And we come out well. Our faith makes us whole by the power of God. Do you want that? If you're here tonight and you've walked away from God, come home to him. Come back. Let us pray with you. Come have a seat. Let us help you as we stand and we sing.